if you will go to Exodus chapter 22, uh, verse 29, I will get there in a little bit, um, but I just want you to be ready. But I was reading a book um, this week. It was a short little book, 75 pages, and you could read it in one sitting if you wanted to. And the book was titled, My Cup Runneth Over, Giving and Generosity. It's by a guy whose name is Chad Bird. And uh, Chad Bird is on Facebook. Um, you might have already seen him before. Um, but his, his kind of slogan is uh, teaching the New Testament with an Old Testament accent, which is really cool. And he kind of just ties in how the Old Testament um, becomes fulfilled through the New Testament. And this uh, quote from his book uh, absolutely floored me this week. And so I was like, I have got to share this. So this is what his, uh, this is what his uh, quote is. The offering plate is too small for our Father's gift to us. His generosity is not a tithe, 10% of his possessions. No, his gift is as large as he is, for he is the gift. He doesn't fill an offering plate for us, but fills the womb of Mary. He fills the cross and fills a tomb with the joyful shout of his triumphant resurrection. His, he gives 100% to us who can give nothing in return. And again, that just floored me, and I just sat at my desk crying, and I was like, Lord Jesus. Because at the heart of giving is the Father's heart. And this morning, we're going to dive into this biblical concept of giving. And I want you to recognize and understand that I said biblical concept and not a religious assignment. Why is it that when the topic of giving is brought up that we get tense? Does that not already reveal to us where our hearts are at with the matter? And let me ask you this, do we really think that God needs our money? Do we really think God needs our money? No. So, Taylor, if God doesn't need our money, then what is it that you are looking for? What is it that God is looking for? How about your obedience? If you want to know what's important to you, you can find it in two ways, your checkbook and your calendar. Where we spend our time and where we spend our money will tell us exactly where our priorities are at. And some might say, well, here we go, here's another sermon, and you're going to dry me out, and you're going to keep on preaching until my wallet's empty. You just revealed your heart again. And I don't want your money. God wants your obedience. And this isn't about giving me your money. This is about giving God your obedience in giving. And, and, I, and this is, I'm taking a different angle and a different perspective to giving this morning. Because what if we don't need another sermon trying to prove or disprove why we give or why do we, uh, what, what if we don't need another sermon trying to prove or disprove giving 10%? It seems like everything I read this week was about proving or disproving giving 
And so I thought, well, what if we don't need that? Rather, what if we need to be taught why we give and the heart of God behind giving? Because if we don't understand, if we don't understand the heart of God behind giving, then we're stingy. But if we do understand why we give and the heart of God behind giving, then we won't care about how much the percentage is. And for the record, I think that 10% is a good starting point. I think that's, that's, that's a really good starting point. However, I don't think that we should adopt a mindset of, I've given my 10% and that's it. Because when we begin to adopt that mindset, I've given my 10% and nothing more, we become stingy with our money. Why? Because we shouldn't adopt that mindset because God gave first. God gave first, and God gave us the most important resource that we could ever need in our entire life and existence, and that was Jesus. He gave first. Is giving money part of it? Yes, absolutely, 100%. But there's also a list of other things as well. Are you giving Jesus your time? Are you giving him your talents? Are you giving him your heart? Are you giving him your trust? Are you giving him your obedience? And so, the first part of my message, the first point is give God first fruits, not last fruits. And that's what God wants. Sean, will you open this for me? Please and thank you. And you leave the cap off and set it right there for me. God wants first fruits, not last fruits. So one of the first passages that I looked at while I began my study was Exodus chapter 22, verse 29. And this is what it says. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Okay. You remember last week and the sharing nuggets of wisdom, I told you about how we need to look at every single passage and all this stuff and then get a Bible dictionary and look at words, correct? So we're about to do that right now. There's three words within this passage that I want us to look at. And I hope after we look at these three Hebrew words in this specific text that it is going to bust this passage wide open for you. So the first word is delay. It says you shall not delay. The word delay is the Hebrew word aher, and it means delay, slow down, detain, linger. That is to extend a period of time and so delay or hold back on an action. Okay? The second Hebrew word that I want us to look at is the word fullness, and that is the Hebrew word malayah. The Hebrew word malayah means produce, crop. That is the choice yield of crops. In this context, it is going to mean the fine juice of the grape harvest. And lastly, the word outflow is the Hebrew word dema, which means best drippings, best juice of the grape crop or finest oil of the olivot. That is the, ju the uh, juice drippings of a grape or olive press. Not the compressed portions, but the unpressed, especially good without bitterness or sediment. Why am I pointing all of this out? Because in other words, what Exodus chapter 22 verse 29 is saying is this. 
you shall not extend the period of time to offer the choice yield of produce of your harvest and from the best drippings of the grape or olive vat. The Lord does not want the compressed portions, that is the flattened by pressure portions, but the unpressed especially good. That's what that means. So what this is saying is that the Lord is telling the Israelites that he does not want a crushed olive from after they've made their oil. He wants the whole olive before they make the oil. That's what that means. And so the spiritual implication that we can draw from this is that we should not give God just the last of our time, money, talents, and treasures. Rather, we should give first of our money, time, talents, and treasures. Do not delay. Extend a period of time to offer the best to the Lord. And I want to show you that this lines up with God's requirements for sacrifices, The first are his. So if you go to Exodus chapter 13, verse 11 through 13, I didn't give you guys that in the back because I've got a whole bunch of cross references and tying stuff in together that it was going to fill the whole page and then you wouldn't have any notes to, to take. So Exodus chapter 13, verse 11 through 13 says, When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set a part to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Okay. Why did the firstborn son and the firstborn animal have to be redeemed? Because, as the text says, they belong to the Lord automatically. Redeemed is to buy back. The firstborn of humans and of male animals, okay, for work, as we see in this passage, the donkey, were redeemed by a payment of a substitute, okay, because the lamb goat kids, oxen, and whatever else that was determined clean to eat in Deuteronomy chapter 14, 3 through 10, were given to God as a sacrifice. Okay? If you just hang with me, you're going to see how this all all conjoins together. So if you wanted to keep your donkey, you redeemed it by giving a non-firstborn lamb. Why was it a non-firstborn lamb? Because the firstborn lambs already belonged to the Lord. Right? In order to redeem your firstborn son, you paid five shekels, which is $2,300 worth the weight in gold and $28 worth the weight in silver. Okay? So, if you didn't want to redeem your donkey, that doesn't mean that you were able to use it for your own personal use because the firstborn still belonged to God. That is why the text says that you needed to break its neck. It needed to be destroyed. If you weren't going to buy it back, then it had to be destroyed because it belonged to the Lord. And the reason for this is found in Exodus chapter 13, 14 through 16. And when in time to come, your sons ask you, what does this mean? Why are they doing this? Why are they redeeming donkeys? Why are they redeeming sons? 
You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeemed. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Okay, so we see that this was set up by God so that the Israelites could remember what God had done for them, that God struck down every firstborn male of Egypt and redeemed the firstborn male of every Israelite. So this was set up so the Israelites would remember that God had done for them by rescuing them out of the hand of Egypt. And the reason why the Lord did this was to prepare the Israelites for the death of Jesus Christ on their behalf. So even though most of the Israelite generations were not going to witness this death of Jesus take place, they could certainly understand the concept at hand. If a life is to be restored, it must be bought back. It must be redeemed by a payment. And that payment was often the substitutionary death of something for something else. What does Paul say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 and 7, 23, you were bought with a price. And who is it that bought us with a price? It was Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? The firstborn son of God. And guess what? God did not delay, and God did not give us his last fruits, but God gave us the best drippings because he gave his first fruits, his firstborn son. So this whole model, okay, Romans chapter 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And from Jesus Christ, this is Revelation chapter 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Are we seeing the trend here? So we see that, the, that, that Paul is looking back to the Old Testament foreshadowing of the redemption price that Jesus was going to pay with his own blood. Am I in the right church this morning? We see that the first fruits point to Jesus. That's the whole point of bring me your first fruits. Give me your tithe. Because they are getting prepared and ready for their Messiah to come as the ultimate sacrifice and first fruit giving. It all points to the Lord's giving. His offering of His perfect firstborn Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 20 through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
Okay, so Paul is comparing the Old Testament offering and Jesus' resurrection. The first fruits of the Old Testament symbolized that the harvest was to come. First fruits was the down payment of the harvest, showing that the rest of the harvest was to come. So Jesus' resurrection was the first fruit of all believers yet to come. There was and is a harvest of believers to come. Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Jesus' resurrection, his, his Spirit given to us is the first fruit that one day all believers will be raised from the dead and will receive new and resurrected bodies. So the the main point, after all of that and tying in and connecting, the main point, you could write it in one sentence, is we give our first fruits because the Lord gave us his first fruits. If you look at point number two, giving to praise God versus giving to praise self. The heart of giving and why we give is to bring praise to to the Lord. Notice what Amos says in Amos chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three, three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Okay, we're going to look at a couple Hebrew words in this passage as well. The word proclaim is the Hebrew word kara, and it is proclaim, announce. That is, make a public calling out of information or an event. So the word is being used in the sense of stating or announcing something formally and authoritatively. And the word publish is the Hebrew word shema, which means proclaim, pronounce, uh, declare, to, to raise your voice, to tell, to make known. And the word is being used in the sense of proclaiming something, okay, conceived of causing it to be heard. So in other words, what Amos chapter 4 verse 5 is saying is that the Israelites are bringing their sacrifices and their offerings. However, they are making a public calling out of what they are giving, and they are making a plan of causing that announcement to be heard. And this is what God is speaking through the prophet Amos and is pointing out to the Israelites They're not giving to praise God. They are giving to proclaim and publish what they are doing. They have a selfish motivation towards giving. They are failing to back up their religious acts with acts of righteousness. We can give our tithe and we can give our offering, but if we are just doing it as a religious act, then it is empty. We give because it brings praise 
to God. We see that their motive was to magnify self. Our motive is to magnify the Lord God. We can love doing religious activity and not really love God. We need to be motivated to love God, not the practice of religion. Is this beginning to sound familiar yet? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to see, be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not, know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is saying the very same thing that God is saying through the prophet Amos to Israel. Jesus is saying, we give so that the Father can witness our devotion and obedience, not others. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier, weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the, other word and, and the others. Jesus is not condemning tithing or giving in this passage. What he is condemning is the Pharisees who are very attentive to small detail, but they disregard the heart of the matter, the heart of the law, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. So the main point within point number two is that we give so that we can magnify the Lord in our giving, not so we can bring accolades to ourselves. Number three, a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Our response to giving should be a ready response. Should always be a ready response. Our motive for giving is because of a deep appreciation of God's grace to us, and that is what prompts us to be cheerful givers. Do you know why God loves cheerful givers? Because God himself is a cheerful giver. That's why he loves cheerful givers. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, For each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word reluctantly in the Greek means regret, state of unhappiness marked by regret. In the sense of emotional pain experienced when sorrowful or unhappy. Kind of that same feeling you get when you got to pay for the Texas Roadhouse bill and the wallet starts coming out. That pain and sorrow. Oh, okay. That's what he's getting at. The word compulsion in the Greek means complete obligation, a necessary thing. A forced compulsion. It is used in the sense of the state of being absolutely required. So in other words, when we give, we should not be giving out of a state of unhappiness marked by regret or under a forced compulsion in the sense of being absolutely required. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is the Greek word Hilaros, it's where we get hilarious. It means happy, cheerful, without grudging. 
okay? Grudging, persistent feeling of ill will or resentment. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because a cheerful giver is one who gives out of sincere gratitude for what God has done for them. And by the way, we do not give so that we can get. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 through 12. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. When we give, we will be enriched to do what? According to the text, to be more generous. When we give, we'll be blessed, and we're blessed so that we can be more generous. What Paul is trying to get believers to understand is that giving is not a strategy for financial growth. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. Giving is so that we can bring praise and honor to God. Giving is not about receiving a personal reward. we already seen what happens when we give to get a personal reward. There's no reward for us in heaven, according to Jesus. We give so that we can see God work, as verse 12 states, not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. We see God work by meeting needs, and then we see the recipients of those who need them beginning to praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. The word for gift here is dorea, and it is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 5, verse 15 and 17, to talk about Jesus' free gift of righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 15, but the free dorea gift is not like the trespass, for if Many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift, Dorea, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift, Dorea, of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. So after Paul's discussion, on giving, he ends it with, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift of righteousness. Why? To show us that God's inexpressible gift, beyond all words, beyond all praise, gift of salvation, should motivate everyone in this room to give generously to others. Last point, number four, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Do not lay up for yourselves, Matthew 6, 19, verse through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
tesoros, that is the Greek word for treasure, wealth, what is stored because of value. Where your treasure is, your wealth, what you store because of value, where that is, there your heart will be also. We as believers need to understand this very one important thing. If you take one thing away from my message this morning, it's this right here. We need to understand that our treasure is Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. Jesus, as the first fruits that we receive, is more valuable than anything that this world has to offer. If Jesus... If Jesus is our treasure, then giving of this worthless coin of this world will not matter. However, if our treasure is here on this earth, then giving of our worthless coin does in fact matter. If we recognize and understand that everything we have, everything we've got, is all His anyway, Giving and how much God asks you to give will not matter. The percentage won't matter. 10, 20, 30, 50. We see the apostles not giving 10%, but 100%. Go and sell your houses and all your possessions and what? Follow me. I was looking at the, pre, I was looking at the uh, mosaic tithing system, you know, under the law. And... Through all this research that I was doing, the Mosaic tithing system, what was in a place under Moses, there was actually three tithes that they give. One went directly to the Levites because they didn't get an inheritance. Another went so that they could begin to fund their pilgrimages for the Feast of Passover and Tabernacle. And then a third tithe was given for the poor. So, if we were to go by the Mosaic tithing system, we were all required to be, be giving at least 30%. There were three tithes within that Mosaic tithing system. So if we recognize and understand that everything we have is all His anyway, we won't care if God asks us to give 100% because it's all His anyway. I'm here to be a steward of what you tell me to do. When Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, what he is trying to get those who are listening to him to understand is that the treasure demands your devotion. The treasure de demands your devotion. Where the treasure is, that is what's going to demand your devotion. So if my treasure is found in earthly things, earthly things are going to demand my devotion. But if my treasure is found in Jesus, we all know Jesus demands our devotion. That's why Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you cannot serve two masters. Because it demands your devotion where your treasure is at. When we are kingdom focused, when we are heavenly minded... When we begin to recognize Jesus is our treasure, that the Lord God has given us everything we have that the Lord first gave to us, the greatest treasure of all, then we are able to stand not like this, but like this. 
we're enabled to be a cheerful giver when we begin to understand and be kingdom focused and all of his is belongs to him anyway then we're enabled to be cheerful givers we're enabled to have open hands and we see in Genesis 14 we see uh, a man named Melchizedek come up to Abraham and Abraham just got back from war uh, defeating these kings and uh, he gives him a tenth of all the spoils of the kings and Melchizedek is mentioned there, and then he's mentioned in Psalms 110, then he's mentioned later in Hebrews. But the whole point of that was Jesus is our high priest under the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is representing the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And Abraham gives to this man who represents the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And then we see the Mosaic tithing system take place and how they give to the Levitical priesthood. And so by Abraham giving to Melchizedek, by a patriarch giving to Melchizedek, we see that the Melchizedekian high priesthood is bigger than the Levitical one. Why? Because Jesus is the high priest under the order of Melchizedek. And now we see we give, we keep an open hand, because our high priest is higher than any world priest. When we stand with an open hand, we let God do what he wants to do. And when we stand gripping and tightened and tense, we don't let God move. Why am I not seeing God move? Why am I not seeing God work in my life? Well, first, are you giving to praise him? And as Paul says in Corinthians, when we begin to be cheerful givers, we begin to see God work because then people begin to praise God that their needs have been met. And then we are blessed because of that, not so that we can keep what we are given, but so we can be more generous again and again and again. I know how much God has given to me. And I know that everything in my life that God has given to me is so that I can continue to be giving to others. Because as I have freely received, I want to be able to go and freely give. Because as I have freely received deliverance and healing, I want God to be able to use me to go administer deliverance and healing, to freely give it away. Not so I can have some amazing testimony about, look what God has done for me and then keep it all to myself, but look what God has done for me because I know that he can do it for you too. And that right there is the heart of giving. The heart of giving is so that we can give to other people, not so that we can be stingy, rich Christians. But God, I give because I bring honor and praise to you, and I want to advance the kingdom of God. And that is the heart behind giving. That's the heart. And I'm thankful for a church that I get to be a part of where 
We're all just here because we want to give. We just want to give. We want to give through our times and our talents and our treasures. And I see that time and time and time again by people that I come across here in this church being generous to me, just giving to me. So let's stand together. Let's just bow our heads together too and just open our heart before the Lord. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for the heart that's behind giving. We just thank you that you first gave to us. We thank you for the first fruits of your son, Jesus Christ, that you have given to us. May it empower us. May it enable us. May it embolden us to go out, Lord, to share, to give, to advance the kingdom of God. And I just pray, Lord, that the world will begin to see, that our community will begin to see, that those who we are in contact with will begin to see that we give not so that we can gain, but we give so that we can continue to give some more and to be more generous and to bring more people into the kingdom. Help us to not be sparing in our giving, but help us to be open-handed, Father God. We just praise you and thank you. Lord, I just pray that you bless everybody here, that you watch them, that you keep them, that you bless them so that they can go and bless others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.